This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Our entire downtown is underwater. Uh, part of a whole hotel just broke apart and went into the Gulf. Michael Bobbitt, a resident of Cedar Key, Florida, talking to the BBC about Hurricane Adelia, the storm's wet and windy punch devastating his town in late August. Um, it's, uh, it's real, real bad. Also real, real bad is the fact that some people, for various reasons, choose to take advantage of a natural disaster like a hurricane to spread false narratives about it. At the very moment when people in harm's way need reliable, trustworthy information, they could be getting exactly the opposite. False narratives deliberately designed to perhaps scare, sow confusion, undermine trust in government and other authorities. There is another word for this sort of appalling activity, disinformation. I'm Paul Brandis, and that's the name of this award-winning podcast series, Disinformation. As usual, I'll be joined by Meredith Wilson, Chief Executive Officer of Emergent Risk International, a global risk advisory firm. A life-or-death moment in Maui as three men tried to escape the recent fires there. The panic clearly evident in their voices. The video, by the way, showing flames towering just yards from their vehicle. The cause of the disaster remains under investigation, but why let that stop some irresponsible citizens from claiming otherwise? Even as the fires blazed, claims sprouted on social media saying that they were caused by a quote, directed energy weapon, in other words, a laser, there were even photos. But fact-checkers at the Associated Press quickly established that one photo was actually A, the launch of a SpaceX rocket, B, from a California military base 3,000 miles away, and C, five years ago. The AP said the other photo showed A, a flare from a controlled burn at an oil refinery, B, in Ohio, and C, also in 2018. But the problem with fact-checking is that it's always too late. The phony claims racked up millions of views anyway, once again proving Mark Twain's purported claim that, quote, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. We have been playing for quite a while now. The odd half-over to get some kind of a break. Take Hurricane Harvey back in 2017. Remember that one? A Category 4 monster that tore through Louisiana and Texas, putting much of Houston, the country's fourth biggest city, under as much as 30 inches of water. Some 100 people were killed, the damage estimated at around $125 billion. 
In circumstances like that, and human nature being what it is, it can be difficult, Meredith Wilson says, to know what is true and what is not. Information abhors a a vacuum, and uh, it's, uh, you know, especially um, in the time of crisis, people are always looking for a guiding light. And um, whether it's, uh, you know, they what they need to know next or it's simply for reassurance that you know things are going to be okay um they're always looking for information and um particularly the people outside of the crisis are also looking for information wow something bad happened you know and uh and so a lot of times they'll grab onto the first thing they see um sometimes it is you know i remember um during hurricane ike and uh subsequent hurricanes like harvey um, we, uh, we saw things like sharks swimming down I-10 and, um, you know, waves that were up below the, you know, below the traffic signs. And, and I remember looking at them and going, wow, that's crazy. But there was so much craziness going on, too, that was real, you know, like, um, you know, cows going down the main street of, uh, of, of Houston. And that was real. So, you know, you do, um, part of it is, is separating fact from fiction because things are so crazy. But um, but a lot of it is people looking for leadership and looking for good information, uh, you know, on which to make decisions too. And so sometimes in the absence of that or in the absence of the ability to access that, uh, people find themselves falling for things that just simply aren't true. Ashley Guzman is founder of Disaster Empire, a two-decade veteran on subjects like business resilience and crisis communications. I asked her, why does disinformation rear its ugly head during a crisis? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. And I think I'll start with from a crisis management perspective um, and being part of crisis teams, emergency management teams, and leading them for close to 20 years now. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the challenge of disasters, right? The disaster environment, as you will, or the crisis environment, where starting off with, you know, there is information coming at a crisis team from many, many perspectives and leadership in companies or uh, leadership in public organizations as well, government officials. And I think in that, I'll call it kind of the fog of war, which I think is a relatable term for a lot of people, even if you haven't been in the military, there is, it's hard to vet that information. And I think one of the greatest challenges for those of us in the profession, either providing recommendations or making decisions in a crisis event, is really being able to filter through that information to understand what's real. And that's the challenge, determining what's real. Even in normal times when everything's okay, we're bombarded with information, TV, radio, newspapers, websites, social media, text messages, on and on and on. It's just too much. As I often do, I want to emphasize the difference here between misinformation, which can be an honest, inadvertent mistake, and disinformation, which is the deliberate manufacturing and distribution of false information, doctored photos, audio, and so forth, in a malicious attempt to confuse us, so distrust in government, distrust in media, and so forth. 
And yet, from the standpoint of people consuming that information, whether an honest mistake or something more malicious, the net effect sometimes can be quite similar. Guzman says that trust in media is a particularly vexing problem, more from our conversation. Now, put yourself in the shoes of just uh, not necessarily a company, Ashley, but just to say a person at home, an ordinary person, and they know a storm is coming. Um, they distrust the media. They don't know where to turn. From an individual standpoint, uh, folks are bombarded with all kinds of information. Uh, how do they know what to trust these days when uh, there's distrust of media? Uh, a lot of stuff that comes out, as you say, is not even uh, accurate. What is an individual to do in a case like that? I, I think that's challenging. My best recommendations is to go to the media sources that you you trust the most, right? And I think a lot of that ends up being local information. A lot of our local authorities do work with vetted sources at the government level. So whether that's NOAA, right, for weather information, or whether that's, you know, getting through FEMA, I think it's pause or, or there's a, a variation of that, right? Where you're getting some information that is vetted. Um, so usually that's coming through your local authorities. They have the best typically on the ground information that is available. I think those can be helpful. I think there are good systems in place. I know that uh, we've worked with utilities, right, over uh, the last several years to get out tornado alerts and and other those sources of information. Um, but I think the other piece that I would suggest to an individual person is to do your research, to listen to several sources of information, and then try to understand what's coming through and what is uh, maybe most consistent and go from there. Let's take a short break. More in just a moment. This series on disinformation is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International, a global risk advisory firm. Emergent Risk International, we build intelligent solutions that find opportunities in a world of risk. Gentlemen, we all know that first impressions matter, and if you're not taking care of your skin, that's going to be the first thing someone notices and instantly either thinks you're way older than you are or you just don't care about your appearance. Show them you do care and make a great first impression with Caldera Lab. I've been using their skincare products for a couple of weeks now, just twice a day, and I can see the difference. The first thing I do when I wake up, even before that first cup of coffee, I use Caldera's Clean Slate. It's a facial wash. They told me it would be refreshing, and they were right. It is. Then I put on a base layer, which hydrates the skin. Really important to do that. And in the evening, the good, that's what it's called, the good. It makes my skin look tighter and smoother, makes wrinkles and fine lines less visible. You know, every drop of the good contains millions of antioxidants that help cleanse and protect my skin. Feels great, looks great. In fact, clinical trials have found that 94% of men's skin looked younger and healthier after just a few weeks. You can add me to that group. Want to look better and feel better? Make sure those first impressions are perfect with Caldera Labs, the leader in men's skin care. Here's an exclusive offer available only to listeners of this podcast. 
20% off, just go to calderalab.com. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A, calderalab.com, and use the promo code DISINFORMATION. Make an unforgettable first impression. People are going to say, you look younger. What's your secret? It's no secret. It's Caldera Labs, the leader in men's skin care, made only with top-tier ingredients. Your skin deserves only the very best. Calderalabs.com. Again, use the promo code DISINFORMATION. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome back. That sound from Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. An NBC camera crew hunkering down in a hotel to capture powerful images and sounds of Mother Nature at her worst. Unfortunately, there have been plenty of devastating storms, their names dotting the history books over the years. Camille, Andrew, Michael, Ian, I mentioned Harvey earlier. Just two weeks ago, there was Lee. But Katrina is still regarded as the mother of all hurricanes, in modern times at least. It was a monstrous storm that killed more than 1,800 people and caused as much as $145 billion in damages. Meredith Wilson says what compounded the tragedy of Katrina was a communications breakdown before, during, and after the storm slammed into Louisiana, Mississippi, and other parts of the Gulf Coast. Hurricane Katrina actually was a probably a much more devastating example of how that can go so wrong, right? And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember, but, um, you know, back in 2005, part of the problem was that the local authorities did not notify people in time that it was coming. Um, and they they weren't able to get out because not everyone could just get in their car and go. A lot of them require, you know, actual you know, buses to evacuate or whatever. And that was a really good example of how a failure of local information, um, you know, then leads to a crisis where people die. And as if Katrina's communications breakdown wasn't bad enough, among its after effects, Meredith says, was an erosion of public trust, which lingers to this day. In the aftermath of situations like that, people lose trust too. And, and once they lose trust, it's really hard to gain it back. And, um, you know, and it, it, even in that case, you know, the failures were across the board. It was local authorities. It was federal authorities. And, you know, it took months of remediation just to get things to a, you know, a state of normal again because there were so many failures across the board. But I'm sure that a lot of people that lived through that will really struggle to trust um, local authorities again for a very long time. And once that happens, that's where the disinformation comes in, right? That's where you start to get people saying, well, I don't trust that politician. Um, we saw this very clearly during the pandemic, right? When, um, you know, those those kind of scary days right before we declared a state of emergency, when we started the real lockdown and everybody had to stay home, you saw very clearly the politicians people trusted and the politicians they didn't really impacted 
what they did in those days, whether they wore masks, whether they didn't wear masks, whether they um, actually stayed home, whether they ignored lockdown, those kinds of things impacted what they did and quite likely impacted their health in the, you know, in the aftermath of that. You know, when you think about it, this is a doom loop. Authorities screw up, people die, trust is eroded. And when the next crisis comes along, citizens, some of them anyway, will be less willing to listen to the authorities. Meredith calls this a political problem. You know, I think it, you know, it's political in that um, this is where the trust factor comes in. And so your politicians, for better or worse, are often in charge of response to these things. Um, Or they are the figurehead. They are the person who's speaking about it. Um, And the fact of the matter is that in this country and in most countries now, we are so fragmented and so divided that people are unwilling to place their trust in politicians that they don't like or that don't identify with their party. And, you know, we've done this to ourselves. There there was a time where this was not the case. But, um, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, it really has become a, you know, if I don't trust you, I'm not going to do what you say sort of situation, or I'm going to trust my own sources. And, um why it's political, I, I guess that's because, you know, politics are what lead our society, but it is um, it is painfully obvious when we have a crisis and we don't respond well because of it. Like I said, a doom loop. The bonds of trust break down, the cycle repeats. Earlier, Ashley Guzman mentioned the fog of war. I'd like to come back to that for a minute. When a disaster is unfolding, there are lots of variables. Stuff can be happening in numerous places. It's not reasonable for someone to presume that they're going to get the full picture at any given time. This adds to the challenge of communicating with the public in a fast-moving crisis. Guzman says that social media, which allows anyone to say anything, can add to this fog, but it can also play a constructive role as well. There were only several, you know, media outlets when I was growing up, and those are the ones, NBC, ABC, I think we all know what those were, PBS, you know, you know, those were the ones that you knew, and they were, besides the print media, that's what you had to go to, you know, I think, which is why even back then you saw the rise of people listening to police scanners, right, because that was a, a modality so that they could get more information about what was happening in real time than getting that additional filter from, you know, journalists and from the media. So I think that was an early precursor to what we see today, which is people using various social media platforms to share information. And I have to say there's some value to that as well, because there have been certain circumstances, and I'm thinking back to the earthquake in Haiti, where people were actually able to get information out about their own status and situation and reach out to an NGO like the American Red Cross directly at times. Um, And it's not a laughing matter, but that was the best and fastest venue for them to get assistance versus going through um, any type of infrastructure because the infrastructure had failed. So I think that is, is something to consider as well. There will be more hurricanes, of course. There will be tornadoes and wildfires. And those so-called 100-year floods seem to happen a lot more often than that. There will also be earthquakes. We've been hearing for years that California is overdue for what some call the big one, a major rupture of the fabled San Andreas Fault, 
parts of which, seismologists tell us, have not ruptured in over 200 years. We don't know when these crises will occur or, in most cases, where. We do know, however, that dealing with them, minimizing the loss of life and property, will result in no small part from just how well authorities and experts communicate with the public and the degree to which that public is inclined to trust them. Have a tip, idea, or an example of disinformation you'd like us to check out? Contact me personally, pbrandus at gmail.com. That's P-B-R-A-N-D-U-S at gmail.com. Thanks to Ashley Guzman of Disaster Empire, sound from the BBC and NBC, our sound designer and editor, Noah Fouts, audio engineer, Nathan Corson. Executive producers, Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando. And on behalf of Meredith Wilson, I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks so much for listening. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.